Ann Robertson, the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Bible Society, and this is the Spirit Walkers Devotion for Sunday, November 2nd. Uh, sorry about missing last week. I had to go to Florida on a family emergency. I offended the technology gods while I was down there, and nothing at all worked, not even my email, not even the hot water heater for that matter. Anyway, it didn't happen last week, and I'm back, and since I'm back at a time that I can think about nothing but the election that's coming up, I decided not to give you another election rant, but instead to go default to a sermon, which is sort of the stump sermon that I give now for, uh, for the Bible Society. I was preaching this morning in Lincoln, Massachusetts, so it's on my mind. And the title of it is the same as our byline for the Bible Society, One Book, Many Voices. And the text comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, which is the passage about all scripture being good for teaching and correction and rebuke and all of that, and all of it being inspired. That's not exactly a direct quote, but you get the idea. You can look it up. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And it's about the importance of Scripture. Since 1809, the Massachusetts Bible Society has been giving out Bibles, duh, to anyone and everyone who wanted one. Across those years, we've also sent out preachers. Knowing that the Bible is a complex book, and those who begin reading it in earnest would probably welcome some help in making sense of its pages. Almost 200 years later, we're still about that business in a number of different ways. We still give away Bibles to the tune of about $55,000 per year. Obviously, we still go out and preach. But we also try to use all the means at our disposal to communicate the message both of and about the Bible through recommending and selling books, through lectures and other educational events, and now through technology. A few months ago, Right after I began as the new executive director, the Bible Society adopted a new byline, One Book, Many Voices. That's a clue to how we believe the Bible is to be read and understood. Many of the louder voices of biblical interpretation in our culture would lead you to believe that there's only one voice in Scripture and only one possible reading and interpretation. I believed that myself for many years. But I have this position today at the Bible Society and am out preaching in churches because I found that such a reading prevented me from experiencing anything but the bare surface of a deep and exciting faith. Once I dared to crack the ice of a literal interpretation of the Bible, I discovered a world so rich and deep and satisfying that I can never go back. And I want that for others, too. So here I am. If you've never read the Bible before, you need to know up front that it can make you crazy. If you need something neat and orderly and consistent with an easy-to-follow chronology, you'll be on medication about a third of the way through. If you need something sweet and inspiring to read before bed, get a copy of Guidepost magazine. If you want something to support your political or social agenda, I beg of you to support your position with scientific research, reason, kindness, and basic common sense. Using the Bible in this way has perhaps done more harm to our society than everything else put together. Oh, there are certainly passages in there that you can use. Whether you're a liberal or a conservative, you can find passages that will appear to support your position. Since most of our country is biblically illiterate, 
When you pull that passage out of context and say, well, the Bible says, most people will believe you because they don't have any clue that in other passages the Bible says completely different things or that you've taken a passage completely out of context. The technical word for that approach is proof texting, and it happens all the time. You know that bit about turning your swords into plowshares? Well, did you know that in another place in the prophets it says exactly the opposite, to turn your plowshares into swords? That's just one example. If you read through every word of the Bible, there's enough there to make both liberals and conservatives heave the book through a window. Jesus is both soft on crime and woefully politically incorrect. In the pages of scripture, God apparently tells Israel to march into other sovereign nations and massacre the whole population. And then in other sections, goes on for book after book about justice and mercy and caring for the widow and the orphan. What the Bible does give us, however, is an amazing look at how a particular people have related to their God and their faith across thousands of years of history. If you have to accept every word as literally true, which is crazy to me since the Bible was written in languages that are no longer spoken anywhere in the world, just to translate the Bible into English is an act of interpretation. But if it has to mean only what it says in English and none of it can be an art form, no poetry, no story, no genre that by its nature offers something other than literal truth, then I believe that sort of interpretation will leave you with a horrifying God, an unkind faith, and an underlying anxiety that will have an effect on all you do in life. At least it was that way for me. But if we can be more open to what God has given us in the Bible, we can relax and be more generous, both with God and with each other. I believe that God has inspired us to pull together a huge variety of writers, styles, genres, and events, the many voices, so that each of us can hear what God has to say in a way that we can relate to. For those who find truth in stories, like Aesop's fables, Jesus tells parables. And the Old Testament tells us about Job and Jonah and a beautiful garden where the first man and the first woman got messed up by listening to the sound bite of a snake. For those who relate to the strength of battle, we're given the sweeping epic of the conquest of Canaan, reminding us symbolically that if we are ever to inhabit God's promised land, we have to be ruthless in wiping sin out of our lives. For those who seek the truth of the poet or musician, there's the majestic lyric of creation in the first chapter of Genesis. There's praise so lyrical in the book of Revelation that Handel used it extensively in the Messiah. And the entire book of Psalms, which served as Israel's songbook for millennia and still serves so today. No matter what emotion you're feeling, it's somewhere within the book of Psalms, showing us that God's people become both grateful and angry, hopeful and despondent, at various times and circumstances. A great example of that is the end of Psalm 137, which turns a lot of people off to the Bible because it ends up saying, happy are those who dash the children of your enemies on the rocks. Now that's not a very nice sentiment. 
But the Psalms aren't there to tell us how we should pray. They're there to tell us how people do pray. I actually used that passage in worship the week of September 11th. Not because it was a nice feeling, but because it was the feeling that we were having as we struggled with the anger and the sadness and the grief over what had happened to us. That's the kind of thing that the Psalms can do. If you have to take it literally, as some do, that passage has been used to justify infanticide. That's the difference between taking it seriously and taking it literally. For the activist who strives for justice, there's the strident call of the prophets. For those who love the flow of a good story, there's Esther and Ruth, and of course the Gospels. Even the geeks get their parts when you get to the dizzying details of the construction of the tabernacle and the temple. And there's enough law to keep the legal types busy for a lifetime. All of it teaches us. In some places we learn who God is. In other places we learn more about ourselves than we care to admit. We see how people often justify our own desires by saying, God told me to. We see that even God's greatest servants committed major sins. Moses was a murderer, remember? We see that even the most insignificant person by the world's standards can be used by God in mighty ways. We see people rise to the occasion, and we see people fall. We see God fed up with people and then willing to give them a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth, and a fifth, and a sixth. And if the Christian proclamation is true, which obviously I believe it is, when we really want to know the true nature of who God is and how God behaves, we look at the life of Jesus, who we proclaim is the revelation of God, God in the flesh, here on earth, living out a human life to show us how it's done. But there's another amazing component to the Bible, and it's this that moves the Bible from being simply a fascinating record of Jewish and Christian history and belief to being a living document filled with the breath of God. I've been reading the Bible since I could read, which was pretty early on in life. I had read it cover to cover many times before graduating from high school. Sometimes I approached it as a book to be studied, and in that study I learned much and I grew in my faith and understanding. But there were other times that I turned to the Bible because I needed to connect with the God that it talked about. Like the wardrobe that led into Narnia, I needed a gateway to God's heart. Sometimes prayer worked like that, but sometimes my prayers fell flat, and I opened my Bible asking God to speak to me through its pages. And it happened completely apart from whether I understood the context of a passage or whether I had any knowledge of the original languages or even who the characters were, I found that God was there in the pages of the Bible speaking to me what I needed to hear. When I found myself completely broken after my husband ran off with another woman who was, unlike me, able to give him children, I turned to Isaiah 54. It begins, Sing, O barren one who did not bear, Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. And later in that same chapter, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. 
For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, like the wife of a man's youth when she is cast off, says your God. I cried for most of the night. Now that passage in its original context had nothing to do with me or any individual going through a divorce. If I wrote such an explanation for a paper in seminary, I would have flunked the class. But the Bible is more than a book to study. For reasons known only to God, it's a book that God inhabits, and a book through which God speaks to every person willing to open it up and listen. I don't mean that it's to be used magically like an astrological forecast or other instrument of divination. I've done that before, it doesn't work. And there's the famous illustration of a man who closed his eyes, opened the Bible, and pointed to a spot on the page to find God's guidance. And the first verse he touched said, Judas went out and hanged himself. He wasn't crazy about that passage, so he did it again. And the next verse he touched said, Go thou and do likewise. You can get into trouble using the Bible as magic. When I tried it, my verse said, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? God does have a sense of humor. But I do mean to say that despite all the craziness and messiness of Scripture, God can and does speak through its pages. If you come to it thinking you have to take the words on the page literally, that can sometimes keep you from hearing God's voice because the plain meaning of the words is often offensive. But if we can remember that there are many voices speaking in its pages, many voices giving their own perspective and spin on the events, and telling of their faith in their own unique style and genre. Then I find I'm more free to listen for God, much as I listen for God in the many voices of the people I meet every day. God can't be contained within the pages of the Bible. God is bigger than that. But in my experience, the breath of God blows through its pages, shining through its often troubled characters with the guidance I need to keep going through this life. Whether I delve far under its stories in exacting study, or whether I read for what God might be saying in the moment, I grow, and I learn, and I find the truth that God is indeed nearer to me than my breathing. So I encourage you to read it. Read it seriously, but I beg you not literally. And in time, the God you seek will take shape in its pages and never fail to meet you there. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walkers. Be sure to check out our website at massbible.org. All our programming since May is now up on video there, including the Beck Lectures that we had just a few weeks ago with the Reverend Peter Gomes and State Representative Byron Rushing. You can watch those as well as our luncheon lectures. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast. I love getting your feedback, as always, to ann at annrobertson.com. And Lord willing and the creek don't rise, I will be here next week. Mm -hmm.